Welcome, Wanderers. Ever wonder how the rings in the Lord of the Rings books were made? That's what we're going to examine today. The very last tale of J.R.R. Tolkien's Silmarillion is called Of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. If you've read the books or seen the movies, those take place at the very end of the Third Age, more than 3,000 years into it. But that's at the end of our tale, so let's go to the beginning. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers! Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's episode date is August 4th. We are 28 days away from the debut of Amazon's Rings of Power series, less than one month. On this day, Middle-earth, in the year 2941, Bilbo and the dwarves are heading east on the forest trail in Mirkwood. In the year 3018, Frodo is waiting for Gandalf in the Shire, and Gollum has escaped. This is adapted from the Today in Middle-earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Let's check the map. These map checks are inspired by the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books, and I hope give you the context for today's story. If none of this makes sense, please listen to a few previous episodes and catch back up. It is the second age of Middle-earth. While the Numenorians have been growing their kingdom in the sea, most of the Noldor elves who remain in Middle-earth have settled in a land called Linden. Linden is in the northwest corner of Middle-earth, and was originally the eastern side of the region of Beleriand in the First Age. The elves are led by Gil-galad, son of Fingon, high king of the Noldor. Also among them is Elrond, son of Eärendil, and brother to the first king of Númenor, Elros. But our tale today starts a little further back, to the turning over of the First Age into the Second, at the end of the War of Wrath, in which the Valar entirely subdue Morgoth. When Morgoth was defeated, and his fortress Thangordrim torn down, his chief lieutenant Sauron took upon himself a fair and noble form, and appeared to pay penance for his deeds to the ambassador of the Valar. He was not forgiven at that time, but instead he was commanded to return to the Undying Lands and face the judgment of Manwë, king of the Valar. This Sauron would not do. Feeling too ashamed and humiliated, and knowing that he would surely have to serve a sentence of punishment, whereas under Morgoth's rule he had been very powerful, so he hid in Middle-earth, where, quote, he fell back into evil, for the bonds that Morgoth had laid upon him were very strong. 
Let's leave Sauron brooding for now, and look at the state of the elves. In Linden, the elves established a great harbor called Mithlond, or the Grey Havens. This is the harbor that we see at the end of Peter Jackson's Return of the King, where Bilbo and Frodo set out to the west with Galadriel and Gandalf. From this place, the firstborn, that is the elves, could find the straight road back to Valinor. The other major settlement for the elves of the Noldorine faction was a region called Eregion, or Holland. In the Fellowship of the Ring, Gandalf and company passed through this land. Gandalf says to the company, quote, There is a wholesome air about Holland. Much evil must befall the country before it wholly forgets the elves, if once they dwelt there. Legolas has a reply to this, but to understand it, we need to remember some of the different characteristics of the different houses of the elves. Legolas is a sylvan elf who loved the forest and the trees and did not march in open war, whereas the elves of Eregion were Noldor in their heritage, and the Noldor loved to mine rock and build tall towers. They loved to build and craft new things like Silmarils, green elfstones, Palantiri, or rings of power. So Legolas replies to Gandalf, quote, But the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the sylvan folk. Only I hear the stones lament them. Deep they delved us, bare they wrought us, high they builded us, but they are gone. Eregion was very near the dwarf kingdom Khazad-dûm, or Moria, one of the oldest and greatest dwarf mansions. A great friendship was formed between the dwarves and the Noldorine elves of Eregion, for if you remember, way, 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 way back, the Noldor had loved to learn from the Vala Aule, who in turn had created and given life to the fathers of the dwarves. The jewelsmiths of the Noldor reached the pinnacle of their craftsmanship, surpassed only by Feanor of old, who had crafted the Silmarils, using the light of the two trees in Valinor long ago. The greatest of the Noldor's craftsmen at this time was Celebrimbor, who was Feanor's grandson. Celebrimbor, according to this tale, had dwelled at Nargothron before its fall, but the careful listener will remember a reference to Celebrimbor coming from the hidden city of Gondolin in the book Unfinished Tales, so a contradictory backstory for Celebrimbor, but we'll roll with it because we love Tolkien. Throughout the Middle-earth, quote, there was peace for many years. And we've heard that in the recent trailers for the Rings of Power series, when Gilgalad says, quote, Today our days of peace begin. Despite this peace, however, quote, Sauron was at work. Assuming that the Valar had abandoned Middle-earth to its own fate, Sauron designed to dominate all of the races and make himself lord of the earth. The men of the south and east had multiplied, and most of them paid homage to Sauron. For, quote, men he found easiest to sway of all the peoples of the earth. Yet he feared the mighty men of Numenor and hated the elves. Nevertheless, quote, long he sought to persuade the elves to his service, for he knew that the firstborn had the greater power. Concealing his dark designs, Sauron took on a wise and fair body, called himself Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, and offered help, aid, and counsel to the elves. In Linden, he was not permitted to enter, for both Gilgalad and Elrond were suspicious of him, though they did not yet fully recognize him as Sauron. They sent messengers to the Noldor and Eregion to be wary of Anatar, but the warning was in vain. For in Eregion, the Noldor learned much from Anatar. He flatters the Noldorine elves, guilefully asking them if they want to make Middle-earth as blissful as the Undying Lands. To them he says, quote, I perceive that you love this Middle-earth, as do I. Is it not then our task to labor together for its enrichment? Wow, the subtlety here is amazing. Of course the labor of the elves is to enrich and beautify the areas around them, but with what intent? Like the Valar, who created the world in order to give it freely to Iluvatar's children? Or like Sauron? to subjugate all other races to his will. And notice how Sauron is able to play on the deepest instincts of each race. With the Numenorians, blessed with long life, yet still doomed to die, Sauron convinced them they could conquer death through war. With the Noldor, Sauron won their trust by convincing them of his intentions to enrich and beautify Middle-earth. And unfortunately, many Noldor began to listen to Sauron. The Noldor desired to increase their skill and knowledge, both of which Sauron, in the form of Anatar, 
could help with, having followed Aule before the beginning of the world. Yet they also desired to enjoy the bliss of those of their kindred who had returned into the West. Therefore, quote, in those days the smiths surpassed all that they had contrived before, and they took thought, and they made rings of power, but Sauron guided their labors. This tale was shared by Elrond in The Fellowship of the Ring, which says, quote, Many eyes were turned to Elrond in fear and wonder as he told of the elven smiths of Aragion and their friendship with Moria, and their eagerness for knowledge by which Sauron ensnared them. For in that time he was not yet evil to behold, and they received his aid and grew mighty in craft, whereas he learned all their secrets. When Gandalf is explaining to Frodo the history of the rings, in The Fellowship of the Ring, he says, quote, In Aragion long ago many elven rings were made, magic rings as you call them, and they were, of course, of various kinds, some more potent and some less. The lesser rings were only essays in the craft before it was full grown. Celebrimbor and the elven smiths create the nine and the seven rings under Sauron's direct tutelage. Yet sometime after their crafting, and before the three were forged, Sauron left Eregion and returned to Mordor, where he continued to build up his forces and eventually would forge his one ring. But after Sauron left and before the one ring was forged, the three elven rings were crafted. These three rings are the, quote, fairest of all, as Gandalf claims to Frodo, and, according to the Silmarillion, they, quote, had last been made, and they possessed the greatest powers. They each had a name and were associated with a specific element, Narya, the Ring of Fire, Nenya, the Ring of Water, and Vilya, the Ring of Air. Narya, the Ring of Fire, would eventually be guarded by Gandalf, and I think is one of the reasons why Gandalf is so often associated with fire throughout the Legendarium. Take this line from the Fellowship, for example, quote, the old man was Gandalf the wizard, whose fame in the Shire was due mainly to his skill with fires, smokes, and lights, not to mention his wonderful display of fireworks at Bilbo's party. The chief power of these rings was preservation, or the ability to, quote, ward off the decays of time and postpone the weariness of the world. Aaron speaks to this when he claims that the three have not been idle in the struggle against Sauron, and, quote, those who made them did not desire strength or domination or hoarded wealth, but understanding, making, and healing to preserve all things unstained. Notice the motivations that he ascribes to the other rings, strength, domination, and hoarded wealth. Each of those is exactly what the other races desire most. Men desire strength in order to stave off death, dwarves desire hoarded wealth, and Sauron desires domination above all others. And in case there's any doubt in your mind, Tolkien wants to make it very clear that Sauron had nothing to do with the forging of the three elven rings. Here's a couple of references. See if you can spot the pattern. Number one, in the Silmarillion, quote, The three remained unsullied, for they were forged by Celebrimbor alone, and the hand of Sauron had never touched them, yet they were also subject to the one. Number two, from the Shadow of the Past in the Fellowship of the Ring, quote, The three fairest of all, the elf lords hid from him, and his hand never touched them or sullied them. And number three, from the Council of Elrond in the Fellowship, quote, The three were not made by Sauron, nor did he ever touch them. So clearly the three are set apart from Sauron's touch. However, because they were still made using the knowledge that Sauron had given Celebrimbor, quote, they also were subject to the one, and, quote, their power was bound up with it, to be subject wholly to it, and to last only as long as it too should last. What the exact nature of that connection is, we're not told, but it seems that if the one ruling ring were to be destroyed, then the power of the three would also diminish. Also, the minds and hearts of those who possessed the three would be revealed to Sauron if he regained the one, in fact, it's this last connection that revealed Sauron's treachery to the elves, for Gandalf tells us that when Sauron had put on the one ring, quote, out of the black years come the words that the smiths of Aragion heard and knew that they had been betrayed, one ring to rule them all, 
one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness find them. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. If there's only one thing you know about Lord of the Rings, I would venture to say it's these lines. One ring to rule them all, and in the darkness bind them. Those are two of the phrases in the Ringverse, which is usually printed before the table of contents in the Lord of the Rings books. A little less well-known is the first half of the verse. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne. This singular ring that Sauron crafted for himself in secret in the forges of the volcanic Mount Doom is known as the Ruling Ring or the One Ring. Into this ring, Sauron poured much of his, quote, strength and will, for he knew that the power of the other rings was great, and so the one ring that would rule over them would need a potent power in order to subject others to his will. When he wore the ring, he could see what was done by the other rings, and even guide the thoughts of the other ring bearers. Gandalf tells Frodo, quote, Sauron let a great part of his former power pass into it, so that he could rule all others. So Sauron's will and fate are wrapped into this one ring, which ring he imbibed with great power so that he could rule and dominate all other peoples. This is why Gandalf and Elrond believe that if the One Ring is destroyed, that Sauron at last will also be destroyed. The Dark Lord has inadvertently connected his fate with the fortunes of the Ring, obviously never considering what could happen if he were to lose it. He didn't have a plan B. This is also why the Ring seems to have a will of its own. Indeed, I think an underestimated character in the whole story is the Ring itself. This is hinted at when Gandalf tells Frodo, quote, it was not Gollum, but the ring itself that decided things. The ring left him. But Sauron's plans were foiled, for as soon as he put on his ring, the elves were aware of his designs, and feeling betrayed, they took off their own rings. The three were distributed Galadriel, Gilgalad, and Círdan of the Havens. Each of these elves was unique in some way. Círdan was the oldest, having cared for Middle-earth since before the First Age, Gilgalad was the High King of the Noldor, and Galadriel was the only elf in Middle-earth to have seen the light of the two trees of Valinor but the sets of nine and seven were locked away from Sauron's reach. So Sauron threw off his fair form of Anatar and declared war on the elves, alleging that the rings belonged to him, for only by his knowledge had they been crafted. Quote, From that time, war never ceased between Sauron and the elves, and Eregion was laid waste. Celebrimbor was slain, and the doors of Moria, which Celebrimbor had helped to build, were shut, and wouldn't open again for another roughly 5,000 years when the Fellowship would pass into Moria. Elrond fought against Sauron, Yet Sauron's forces advanced and laid waste to the whole region. The elves were almost entirely overrun, 
if it hadn't been for the aid sent by the Numenorians, who were still rising to the height of their power. Elrond retreated, and would later found Rivendell further to the north and gather what survivors he could. But Sauron achieved his aim, and claimed the Nine and Seven Rings for his own purposes. The Seven Rings he gave to the dwarves, but they proved difficult to dominate. The reason for this is all the way back in Chapter 2 of the Silmarillion. When Aule, the Vala, first created the dwarves, he did so without a full picture of what the children of Iluvatar would be like. And because of Morgoth's destruction of all things that Aule made, he made the dwarves strong, hardy, and, quote, stone hard. Check out Episode 2 for a refresher on that tale. So the dwarves never fully fell under the domination of Sauron. However, his purposes weren't altogether foiled. For the Seven Rings cultivated the love the dwarves had for gold, gems, and precious metals, so much so that this love grew into a sick lust, which you see portrayed in Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies. There's a disturbing scene in the Battle of Five Armies where Thorin is mentally swallowed up in liquid gold. The dwarves used their seven rings only for the hoarding of great wealth. Quote, an overmastering greed of gold was kindled in their hearts. And, quote, it is said that the foundation of each of the seven hordes of the dwarf kingdoms of old was a golden ring. These hordes were plundered by dragons, and the rings were lost. Gandalf tells Frodo of the fate of the seven rings, quote, three Sauron has recovered, and the others the dragons have consumed. Sauron gave the nine rings to mortal men, and, quote, men proved easier to ensnare. The keepers of the nine rings became great kings and sorcerers, obtaining glory, wealth, and power. But, quote, they fell under the thraldrum of the ring that they bore. They became the Nazgul, Sauron's ring wraiths. Gandalf describes the state of mortals who dare to bear a ring of power. Quote, a mortal who keeps one of the great rings does not die, but he does not grow or obtain more life. He merely continues, until at last every minute is weariness. Sooner or later, the dark power will devour him. We see this in Bilbo, who continues to look in good health while he possesses the One Ring, yet he even described his life as, quote, butter scraped over too much bread. And you could argue that this power is the same as the three elven rings, that is, preservation. But rather than preserving life, possession of a great ring stagnates life, frustrates the growth of the possessor, until they are under the domination of the Dark Lord. This domination of the Nine took time. It wasn't until about 700 years after the forging of the rings that the Nazgul first appear, which is right about the time that the Numenorians have established settlements in Middle-earth, and the beginnings of a rebellion against the Valar are beginning to show. One interesting theory about the Rings of Power series is that the young character known as Theo, who appears to be a boy about 10 or 12 years old, will become one of these Nazgul lords. One of the recent trailers has him holding a broken black sword, which then gathers a dark mist and flame that reforms the blade, in a nearly reverse process of the Morgul blade that dissolves after Frodo is stabbed at Weathertop. Could Theo's journey be a tragedy down into the shadow? The formation of one of these nine Nazgul? I guess we'll see. Thanks for listening. Please join me next week, where we will examine the challenge of the last alliance against Sauron and the fate of the One Ring. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. 
Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.